This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. It's now time for Activate, a show brought to you by Amnesty International. Welcome to Activate. Thank you for joining us this evening or whenever you're listening to this show. I'm Kerry. I'm joined here by Greg. (laughs) Kia ora, Kerry. Nice to be in the studio with you and kia ora to all our listeners as well. It's it's good to be back in the studio and Mm. um, we hope you're all well in these uh, strange times. In tonight's show, we're going to be talking to Margaret Taylor from our Auckland HQ, talking about climate change and COP26, which is uh, the meeting coming up in Glasgow in the UK at the end of this month. I think it starts on Halloween. So. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> but uh, that's sort of a, a whole massive conference, lasts a couple of weeks, and they'll be talking everything climate change. So we've got an interview of Margaret to cover some bases there. Coming up in the show, we'll also have our regular human rights in the news and good news from the rest of the team yeah no that sounds great it's going to be a good show shall we head on then let's go (laughs) hello and welcome to another edition of human rights in the news for the month of october this article was reported in various news media I picked it up in The Guardian and it was reported 10 days ago and it reads, Clean environment is a human right, UN Council agrees. The UN's main human rights body has overwhelmingly voted to recognise the right to a safe, clean, healthy and sustainable environment as a human right and to appoint an expert to monitor human rights in the context of the climate emergency. The Human Rights Council passed the Clean Environment Resolution, which also calls on countries to boost their abilities to improve the environment by 43 to 0, while four member states, China, India, Japan and Russia, abstained. Lucy McKernan, Deputy Director for UN Advocacy at Human Rights Watch, called the Clean Environment Measure a significant advance to help address the global environmental crisis. Global recognition of this right will help empower local communities to defend their livelihoods, health and culture against environmental destruction and help governments develop stronger and more coherent environmental protection laws and policies, she said. Another resolution creates a three-year post of a special rapporteur who will, among other things, monitor how the adverse effects of climate change, including sudden and slow onset disasters, affect the full and effective enjoyment of human rights. That measure passed by 42 to 1, Russia objected, and China, Eritrea, India and Japan abstained. The votes came on the second last day of the 47 Member Council's autumn session, which, among other things, approved a special rapporteur to monitor rights in Afghanistan, a vote opposed by Pakistan, and ended an effort to monitor rights in war-torn Yemen. Right, today we're joined by Margaret Taylor, who works in Amnesty International HQ up in Auckland. Hi Margaret, how are you doing? I'm doing great, thank you. Kia ora guys, it's good to be talking to you again. 
Thank you. It's so nice to have you back on the show. Maybe before I get into explaining what uh, we're talking about today, you could just briefly introduce yourself and what you do up in Auckland, actually. Sure. But before I do so, could I just shout out to all your listeners? And I just want to say congrats to the Activate team for uh, building your listenership. Great. Thank you. So as to me, yes, I'm 30 years of Amnesty New Zealand and in a variety of roles, uh, but currently I'm the community manager. And that means I have the great joy of working alongside youth advocates and advocates who gift time and expertise to make the world a better place. Sounds great. And um, I'm sure other, uh, many of our listeners will be familiar with you already. So what we're here today, we're going to talk about is climate change, which is a, a really big mm. focus for Amnesty International and obviously everyone around the world. This is kind of topical because coming up at the end of this month in Glasgow in the UK, we've got COP26, as it's known which is the 26th Conference of the Parties, which doesn't sound very inspiring, but it's yeah. um, it's a really important conference that is um, being held with countries all over the world, um, it's kind of to talking about recommitting to and maybe furthering their ambitions for what kind of uh, emissions uh, targets they're aiming for, looking towards 2030 and then maybe 2050 as well. Obviously, a lot of people are familiar with terms like the Paris Agreement and uh, emissions and climate change in general, and have also seen some of the things that have been in the news in the last couple of years, really dangerous forest fires and flooding and natural yeah. disasters. So so this is really topical, but also a big issue that we've been following for a long time. So yes, with this event coming up at the end of the month, I was just wondering what Amnesty International's role in events as an observer organisation looks like? Well, before we even get to COP, uh, we've got a series of things we are doing to raise public awareness about the impact of climate change on human rights Mm -hmm. and to push our key demands. So um, I'd ask your listeners to keep an eye out for reports we'll be releasing soon on Pakistan and Madagascar and how they've been impacted by climate change. Uh, And then to get informed on climate justice and human rights by checking out on our massive open online course, a MOOC, on climate change and human rights. And that's been launched on 31st of October. But but to your question about being there in Glasgow, um, we'll be there to monitor the negotiations and to do reactive work responding to key developments. So it's highly likely we'll be issuing reactive media and social media pieces but also our Global Secretary, uh, Secretary-General, Agnes Kalamar, and colleagues will be undertaking advocacy meetings with ministers as well. Mm. And um, we'll be teaming up with others for a side panel conversation highlighting the flaws in carbon, carbon market offsetting regimes and the dangerous loopholes that exist for states and fossil fuel companies to delay climate action. And then finally, we're also coordinating a youth-led panel discussion uh, which will focus on the experiences of young female climate activists and throughout that time we'll be encouraging your listeners and everybody really uh, to participate in things like um, a one-day video marathon to ask people globally to send messages uh, to world leaders with their demands for re-election so that's on November the 5th and then uh, COVID allowing a global day of action on climate justice on November the 6th. So there's a whole heap going on, not just in Glasgow, but globally. That sounds really um, significant in terms of Amnesty's involvement. So, Margaret, could you just give us a little bit of a brief overview for the listeners? For Amnesty International, what will Amnesty be looking out for with regard to some meaningful global outcomes? Obviously, Mm. 
the COP has set out certain goals that it has, you know, including emissions reductions, some financial goals, but also, yeah. you know, other things about finalising the Paris rule book. But from Amnesty's perspective, what what would we look for for some key markers of success if we thought that some significant change was actually going to occur, do you think? Sure. And and as is no surprise, you know, world governments, including our own, are simply not doing enough. So mm. um, we'll be pushing very hard to get all governments, and especially the wealthier industrialised countries, uh, to adopt new or revised uh, human rights consistent emission reductions and, the, the fi- and to finance plans that kind of meet their responsibilities for the climate crisis. So we'll be pushing hard to ensure that they limit the global average temperature rise to 1.5 degrees Celsius. And anything less is just not good enough. Hmm. Um, We'll continue to call on states to phase out fossil fuels. That's key to this as well. Hmm. And they just can't, they've got to stop relying on offsetting measures. Hmm. And then actually uh, to adopt a new action for climate empowerment called ACE work program. And that's focused on climate education, public participation and access to information. It's about empowering the people. Margaret, could could I just go on a, on a slight tangent? Kerry's probably going to look at me for this, but <laughs> just mm-hmm. on just on that point, just just say for example, some of our listeners might not be they might be thinking about climate change, but they might not be thinking, how does this directly impact on human rights? Could you just draw out one of your points there where you talked about you know human rights yeah. significant? Because I know that in Amnesty as a movement, we did have a lot of debates over the years about some people you know felt strongly that perhaps that's environmental issues that we should not get involved with. I don't want to reopen that whole can of worms, but I, I'm very interested if you could just briefly say how where's yep. the direct line between human rights impacts and climate change? An example. There are so many. Mm. Um, people deserve the right to a healthy environment. Mm. And thankfully, mm. the United Nations has just confirmed that. Yeah. Um, we don't have a, a, a planet that we can live on if we uh, don't meet the targets. Mm. You know, so that's one thing. Yeah. But, um, but, but also, not only a healthy environment, we need clean drinking water. Mm. Um, but so, but we won't have that if, if temperatures rise. So many countries around the world, and I talked earlier about uh, Pakistan and Madagascar. Mm. Um, through to climate change in Pakistan, they 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 under scorching heat that they cannot survive. In Madagascar, they've been thrown into drought. People are starving for uh, for access to, to crops that have failed. Mm. So very compelling evidence that climate change does have a human rights component. And of course, we have for long years campaigned on behalf of human rights defenders, um, yep. mm. and they include environmental human rights defenders who are putting their lives and their livelihoods on the line to try and make the world, you know, to try and make the planet. Uh, sustainable for them, their family, their whānau, their communities. Mm, absolutely. So we campaign yep. for them. So it is, you know, human rights are at the heart of climate change, and that's why we we have uh, been in very engaged in what we call the climate justice movement. Right. If human rights mm. aren't there, then we we none of us are going to win this campaign. Thank you. Thank you for that explanation. Yep. yep. No, it's all good. That's great. Thank you. And um, actually, Greg, that does kind of cover what I was going to be asking next anyway, so that works pretty well. Okay. All right. <laughs> that good. was a good call. <laughs> yes, tying climate justice to climate finance as well is, is something, um, as you mentioned 
earlier, Margaret, you know, there's, uh, mm. there's still a lot of um, kind of shortfall there and expected shortfall. So that kind of climate finance commitment around the world that uh, which yeah. is for 100 billion per year for supporting developing countries who kind of bear the brunt of those environmental impacts and then have mm. these human rights implications as a result of the kind of environmental outcomes. It's, uh, it's all tied up, but that amount of money, even 100 billion sounds quite unfathomable, but it's still hard to, it's being sort of, there's a shortfall there, but mm. it's also not enough. So it's, it's a it's Totally a not enough. And particularly when we consider that, you know, the wealthiest countries are wealthy because they have benefited from being uh, uh, climate abusers, so to speak, mm, you know, yeah, that they, right. they, mm. their wealth depends on the degradations they visited upon this, this planet. Mm. Um, and still they fail to make their commitments to, to that pledge or even worse, have uh, contributed to it in the form of loans So, and to, to developing countries. Mm. So we're saying that those, there does need to be, they need to, they need to collectively, the world leaders need to collect, collectively meet the goal of 100 billion, billion US dollars per year. Yeah. And that has to be grant funding rather than loans because actually in the in the past they have provided loans to countries and really all those uh, loans have done is increase the developing country's debt and its obligations to donors yeah. and it reduces their ability to fulfill many things in their country and including human rights that's such an important point about that mm -hmm. sort of link i think it's maybe one that isn't always um, fully understood, but just that connection between the people who have maybe receiving or experiencing the worst effects now are the ones who've contributed the least in terms of emissions and environmental mm. damage over the years. It's um, it's very unjust. Margaret, just we wanted to just look closer to home for a moment, and could you just give us your view the situation for our neighbouring Pacific communities in the whole climate change area? And how do you think New Zealand is delivering on its commitments or how could it be doing better? And also, obviously, there's human rights weave through that as well. What's your take on that situation? Well, I'll start with the Pacific first. I'd have to say our Pacifica leaders have shown extraordinary leadership in challenging the world to step up to its obligations to deliver mm. climate justice. Mm. Um, and equally, and perhaps lesser well-known, to mitigate the impact of climate change on their vulnerable island nations. They have been amazing. Sadly, I think only um, six or 14 Pacific nations can afford to even get to Glasgow. Mm. And these voices of the most impacted nations on the planet, they need to be in the room and they need to be heard. So it would be wonderful if New Zealand could assist funding a Pacifica attendance. So that would be one thing I'd say that New Zealand could do. Mm. And also, New Zealand is not doing nearly enough. It's just released a discussion document for the emission reduction plan. And, you know, honestly, you'd have to think it's not even trying at all. Very few ministers or ministries have engaged in a legitimate manner on that discussion document. And, you know, um, as an agricultural country, um, action to cut emissions from intensive dairying is missing, mm -hmm. as is the phasing out of synthetic nitrogen fertiliser. So that would be a key way that we could meet our targets. And it's not really even in the document in any meaningful way. And I thought what could be useful for you guys to know is that in a recent report by the um, World Wildlife Fund, the world's five biggest meat and milk producers, and that includes Fonterra, 
they emit the same amount of greenhouse gases as a major oil company, Exxon Mobil. So that just paints mm. that picture of the impact that they have. Because we're Amnesty, uh, we offer solutions, and we're drawing on the solutions that our colleagues at Greenpeace New Zealand, Oxfam New Zealand and 350.org, they've all urged the New Zealand government to support and fund farmers to adopt regenerative farming practices mm-hmm. and to phase out the use of synthetic nitrogen fertiliser. So we, we come complete with solutions and we're saying, well, Greenpeace, Oxfam and 350 have got a great suggestion. It's up to the New Zealand government to commit to that now. Thank you. That's, that's a really um, kind of sobering um, number that the comparison with an oil Mm. um, emissions that is quite something it's nice to leave on a a more positive and hopeful note so before we uh, wrap up this interview I was just wondering where you think we have good reason to feel hope for the future yeah what sort of what inspires you at the moment Mm, great question so I have huge hope for the future because every day I work alongside activists to engage in the struggle so we can and we are growing that movement. And can I just urge your listeners not to be observers in this campaign, please jump in. So from getting informed on the issue to using keep cups when buying that coffee, from committing to using public transport over jumping in your car and signing petitions to contacting your local MP and saying, hey, this issue matters to me. You know, from composting instead of throwing your rubbish in the bin. Mm-hmm. Um, participation and protest and submission process there is so much that we can do individually and together and that's little and big and then also if uh, your listeners want to help amnesty amplify and protect the voices of climate activists and environmental human rights defenders we're launching an online climate justice and environmental human rights defenders network so if they'd like to be part of that network, they can uh, email info at amnesty.org.nz or they can phone me on 0800 266 378 and ask to join. When I, I talk to people a lot about being part of a solution and my mantra as a human rights activist is to live by Alice Walker's great quote, and, which is, activism is the rent I pay for living on this planet. And it's the only planet I've got, and I love it. So <laughs> I encourage everybody to get out there and love this planet and actively engage in being part of the solution. That is a really inspiring note to leave on, so I hope that our listeners are equally inspired as, as we are talking to you today. Look, my pleasure, and, and thanks for the interview. I much appreciate you giving me the time. Thank sure, Marco. And now for some good news stories from Amnesty over the last couple of months. On the 15th of August, Tana Kilak, the Honorary Chair of Amnesty International Turkey, was released from prison after over 432 days in prison. Uh, Millions of people worldwide have taken action on this case, which has no doubt pressured the authorities helping to secure Tana's release. But Tanner and 10 other human rights defenders are only out on bail, still facing terrorism-related crimes, an absurd attempt to choke their human rights activism. Tanner was thrown into prison on the 9th of June 2017 on the absurd charge of being a member of an armed terrorist organisation. Idil Issa, the director of Amnesty Turkey, was detained one month later alongside nine others while attending a routine workshop for human rights activists in Istanbul. 
The ten became known as the Istanbul Ten, and they were also charged with membership of a terrorist organization. Following a global outcry, Edel and the Istanbul Ten were released in October 2017, though Tanner remained in prison, alleged to have downloaded the messaging application Bylock, a messaging application the authorities say was used by those responsible for the July 2016 coup attempt in Turkey. Two independent forensic analyses of Tanner's phone found no trace of Bylock ever having been downloaded, which was confirmed by a police report on the 5th of June 2018. Now, Tanner is finally free and back in the arms of his wife and daughters. In response to Tanner's release, Kumi Naido, Amnesty International's new Secretary-General, said, quote, Beneath the smiles of joy and relief, there will be sorrow, anger, and a steely determination. Sorrow for all the things Tanner has missed during his cruel incarceration. Anger that the baseless charges against him and the Istanbul 10 have not been dropped and determination to continue our fight for human rights in Turkey and for the release of all those human rights defenders, journalists and others who have been unjustly jailed in this vicious crackdown. So we've come to the end of this Activate show for October. It's been great to be in the studio with, with Kerry. Hope you enjoyed the interview with Margaret Taylor. We really appreciate her time from Amnesty International talking about COP26 and the climate change. There's some things in there. Kerry, you're going to leave some links and things on the information for the show to make sure that people know where to go on the website if they want to take further action around climate change, Amnesty, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I'll put those in the show notes. Just, yeah, look out for the events that Margaret mentioned. There's going to be some activities sort of happening throughout the event, but mm. also in the lead up to COP26 which starts at the end of the month so yep. should be good. That'd be brilliant. In terms of other Amnesty stuff coming up as always have a look out for in the middle of next month November there'll be a letter writing either catching up with John and Lois or with Stefan and Kate so go to our Amnesty Facebook page Amnesty in Christchurch and you'll find some details there if you want to join in on that letter writing group and also keep an eye out for events from the regional team in Christchurch so really it just remains to remind you go to amnesty.org.nz if you want some general information about what you can do for human rights just want to sh- throw a quick shout out thank you to Nikki for her help in the studio and her production today it's been wonderful any other shout outs you wanted to make Kerry for anyone from our team or anyone else just a shout out to everyone listening who's um, yeah keeping on keeping on <laughs> <laughs> exactly in these times so yeah. thanks everyone we'll catch you next month and the last thing for the show today we're going to play out with Bob Dylan's Times They Are Changing partly because it's a great song and it feels topical and also because we're here in his 18th year Gather round people wherever you roam And admit that the waters around you have grown And accept that that soon You'll be drenched to the bone If your time to you Is worth saving Then you better start swimming Or you'll sink like a stone For the times They are changing Come writers and critics who prophesies with your pen Keep your eyes wide The chance won't come again Don't speak too soon For the wheel's still in spin 
and there's no telling who that it's naming. Oh, the loser now will be later to win. Oh, the times they, they are a change, yeah. I'm senators, congressmen, please in the car. Don't lock up the doorway, don't lock up the house These that get hurt will be in the style There's a battle outside, and it's raging But a soon set your windows and right on your walls For the times, they are changing the land Don't criticize what you can't understand Your sons and your daughters are beyond your command Your old road is rapidly aging Please get out of the new one if you can I want you to get together. 